Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. God some praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, he's worthy of, a, of our best effort. He's worthy of our best effort. Jesus, we praise you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Thank you for every heart that's here this morning. Thank you for touching us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's all right. We can put our hands together. glad that I serve a God who has no rival. He has no equal. He even declares in scripture, he says, I look to my right or to my left. He said, I, I, is there any other God? I know not any. He has, there is no equal with our savior and I serve a risen savior. Death couldn't hold him, could not defeat him. And I know that because I feel him here today and he lives inside of me. He's filled me with his spirit. Are you thankful for that? Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be here in Hatchbend with you, and it's good to be with our friends, brother and sister Boyd, and we do consider them very good friends, and um, he's, he's also my boss, so he's also my boss, you know. I'll try not to stretch that friendship too far, you know, but I'll use it when I need to. I'll use it when I need to. But they've been very kind to us, and the hospitality has been incredible. Uh, the evangelist quarter was better than any hotel we've ever stayed in. We took pictures. We said, this is what an evangelist quarter should look like. <laughs> it's beautiful. And uh, our friends Justin and Sarah, we had a good time with them last night and brother and sister Boyd. They drove us around. He texted me and he said, you know, they were going to take us around the bend. And I just thought that was a figure of speech, you know, you know, going around the bend, you know. But he, you know, literally, I guess around the bend is Hatch Bend, you know. And so I said, what is Hatchbin? You know, what, when you say Hatchbin, it's beautiful community. It's very nice, and it's, it doesn't even look like Florida. We love it. And um, not that we don't love Florida, but, you know, Hatchbin's beautiful. So you're very blessed. Beautiful church, great pastor, great leadership, great praise and worship team, great media team. Everything's good. So you are blessed, church. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. Amen. God has blessed you, but we are excited to be here, and um, I'm on the clock, so we're going to go to the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 8, this is overtime, so, you know, <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to make a joke about overtime, so, <laughs> yeah, 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 time and a half, right, you know, so, <laughs> all right, Luke chapter 8, I'm going to start with verse number 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. 
And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, this is Jesus, the people thronged him. As he went, the people thronged him. We have any travelers in here? Anybody like to travel? All right, so I'm gonna, we're going to travel together. We're going to journey together. I want to talk to you this morning about the journey to a miracle. So if you'll pack your bags and come with me, we're going to go on a journey to a miracle. Would you lift your hands with me? Let's just pray that God will bless the word. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that it's still relevant. It's still powerful even today. We ask that your word would do a miraculous work, that it would penetrate the heart of the believer, that there would be no distraction, no vices of the enemy that would choke it out, but that it would grow and prosper and develop develop our faith, God, through the power of your word. Do something great in this place, and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to go on a journey together, journey of a miracle, to a miracle. I'm thankful to uh, have my wife here with me this morning, uh, the beautiful lady sitting over here. If you want to wave your hand, Sister Stephanie. Stephanie, we are happy to be here all the way from Ocala, Ocala, Florida. So, it's, it's new to us, though. We're, you know, we're, we're new residents of Ocala, so we're happy to be here. My wife is the sweetest person you'll ever meet. She's the sweetest person you'll ever meet. And actually, I think we're both pretty nice. We're both a nice couple. We don't have a lot of enemies, but we do have one mortal enemy, one enemy that we just we battle with and we can't stand. And that is the GPS in our vehicle. Or your Waze app or, or, you know, if you use Google Maps, whatever it is, that enemy, every time we get in the vehicle and begin to travel, stares us in the face. It tells us what time we're going to get somewhere. It dictates to us what our travel time is. And we don't take kindly to that. We don't take that lightly. Because my wife and I are, we, we are competitive with the GPS. You know, we like, we like to travel. We like to go on vacation. But we, we don't like the process of getting to our destination. We like to get there and be there. And then when it's time to go home, we like to go home. That's why you'll probably just see dust after church today because we're going we're gonna to get home. We're just going to get home. It's nothing personal. We just want to get home. But we, we don't like the process. So when we see the GPS saying it's going to be six hours, well, we don't accept that. It's going to be five and a half hours or less. And so my wife is just as competitive as I am when it comes to this, when it comes to travel. We, we don't take it lightly. It's, it's very serious business. It's very, it's very important. We have a goal. We have an objective. And uh, there's no playing around when it comes to travel. We don't like to wait. Anybody like to wait in line? I don't like to wait in line. I want, if, you know, if I order something, I want the food ready now. You know, if it takes a few minutes, you start looking around at the table, figure what's going on. I don't like, you pull up to a line at Starbucks or if you go to, you know, wherever it is you like to eat and you see a line. If you're like me, you just keep going. You just keep driving. You don't even get in line. Because nobody likes to wait. And it's true for us. It's true, I would imagine, for most of us in here. 
And while this is true in the natural sense, I believe that this sense of urgency has manifested itself in my prayer life and how I expect God to work. When I pray and believe God for an answer, I expect that answer yesterday. I expect it immediately because I believe the biggest test of our faith is in the waiting. It's in the process. It's after we have asked for what we desire and what we need. It's in the uncertainty of the journey that's ahead of us. You see, my faith is not hindered to where I cannot ask God for something. I have no problem asking God for the impossible. I have no problem if I'm sick asking him to heal my body. I have no problem asking him if I need a financial miracle to be my provider. I have no problem asking him if I'm struggling to break me free of what I'm struggling with. But it's in the process afterwards, after asking, that seems to hinder me and frustrate me. I feel like the father of the sick boy in Mark 9.24 who said, Lord, I believe, but what? Help now my unbelief. In other words, what he was saying is, I believe you enough to ask for this impossibility. I believe you enough to ask for my child to be healed, but I need your help, God, in the process to that answer. I need your help in the process, in the journey to my answer. And if you're like me this morning and that's how you feel, if that's how you operate internally, I'd like to remind you that the Lord's promises are always true. They remain true. If he promised healing in your body, then you're going to be healed. If he promised deliverance, if you'll just hold on to that promise, God will bring you deliverance. The Lord is on his way right now in this service to meet you where you're at. Whatever you've asked him for, whatever you've believed him for, if you'll just hold on to that word that he gave you, God will answer that prayer. Why don't we give him thanks for that right now? Why don't we thank him that he's a good God? Thank you, Jesus. It's been said, but it is true. We serve a prayer-answering God. We serve a prayer-answering God. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus' ministry has now led him from the Gentile region around the Sea of Galilee to the Jewish towns on the other side. And Jesus is now passing through every city and every village, and he's preaching the kingdom of God and performing incredible, breathtaking miracles. And he has developed quite a reputation in performing these miracles. People are coming in the droves. They're coming from all around. They're coming from everywhere to get a glimpse of Jesus, to find out exactly what he's about. Sick people are coming. Uh, people who just want to hear the teaching because it was, it was different than what they'd ever heard of before. This was, this was something incredible that they wanted to witness. So as Jesus would make his entrance into these towns... He already had a crowd waiting on him. There were already people lined up, standing at the gate, waiting to get in to hear Jesus preach. So Jesus, as he left Galilee and as he started to make his entrance into these Jewish towns, the Bible says it's here a man named Jairus approached him. Now we've got to understand how Jairus made his way to Jesus because, again, 
he is surrounded by a multitude. He's surrounded by a crowd. So it was no easy feat for Jairus to make his way to Jesus. It was a, it was a difficult task. If you've ever seen a celebrity, if you've ever seen somebody famous and you've tried to get through to get an autograph, people are pushing you and squeezing. If you've ever been to a conference, anybody ever been to Youth Congress? It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I can remember Oklahoma City is the last one we went to several years ago. And um, it was standing outside just waiting to get in in the heat, sweating through your suit. It's supposed to be a church service. We were talking about this before service at conferences. But people pushing on you and elbowing you and frustrated. We had a young girl in our youth group pass out, which turned out to be a blessing because we got to the front of the line and went inside. (laughs) What the enemy meant for disaster and evil, God turned it around for good. Amen. You know, we was praying to get in front of the line. We didn't know we were going to have to sacrifice a young girl, but... But it, yeah, but if you've ever been in a crowd of people trying to get through, this is what Jairus experienced. But he had a, a, he had a, a need. He had to get to Jesus. So he fought his way through this crowd. He elbowed his way through. He crawled and he pushed people aside. Who knows how long it took him? But I imagine it took a, quite a bit. He made his way to uh, Jesus, this man, Jairus. Now, Jairus, you you have to understand, he was a ruler of the synagogue. What that means in kind of a a modern uh, type role would be sort of like a pastor. He was in charge of the spiritual and the business affairs of the synagogue. So Jairus was a uh, well-known man in the community, and he was probably a dignified man. He probably, you know wore the the proper attire that a pastor would wear. You know, like Pastor Boyd always had his hair just in perfect place, you know, just neatly kept and and, and ironed. So he's my boss. Did I mention that? You know. (laughs) So Jairus was like that, and and he, you know, in in his neatly ironed clothes and in his image in the community, this was this was something different to be desperately fighting his way through the crowd to this man, Jesus. So as he approached, the people no doubt looked at him and thought, what is Jairus doing? What is, the, what, what is he doing here? Because they had no idea up until this moment how Jairus felt about Jesus. They had no idea how he felt about the man, Jesus, that was there. So Jairus was a desperate man in this instance in this situation. He was a desperate father. The Bible tells us that he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he begged him to come to his house because Jairus had one daughter, 12 years old, who the Bible says lay in the house sick and dying. She was laying in in her room and she was dying. There was not not a lot of life left in her. This was a desperate situation. Jairus was a desperate father. He probably had tried all the physicians. He had tried, you know, medical procedures, but nothing was was working. And so this was a last effort. This was his last chance to get his daughter healed, and he was desperate. So he fought through the crowd, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he got on his knees, and he began to beg him to come to his house. 
He said, Jesus, you've got to come to my house. I've got a daughter. She's sick and she's dying. And if, and if something doesn't happen, if there's not an intervention, then I'm not going to have a child any longer. She's not going to make it. As his daughter laid on her deathbed, each breath was precious. Each breath became weaker and weaker, and her time was not certain. So Jairus needed a miracle, and he needed it right now. He needed it not tomorrow, not next week, but he needed it in this moment. So somehow Jairus, this desperate father, was able to fight his way to Jesus, and not only fight his way to Jesus, but he was able to pull Jesus' attention away from the crowd, away from everybody else, and convince him to come to his house. So Jairus, probably in excitement, in a a sense of accomplishment, got up, dusted himself off, and began the journey back to his house, back to his sick daughter with Jesus next to him. Jesus heard his plea and agreed to go with him on this journey back to his house to heal his sick daughter. And as Jesus began to walk to Jairus' house, as he began this journey, the growing crowd, the Bible says, thronged Jesus, thronged him. The ancient Greek word here translated as thronged means to suffocate. It means to to suffocate and to cause maybe even the it, it difficult to breathe. It was that suffocating. It's the same Greek word used to describe the choking of the seed earlier in this same chapter, Luke chapter 8. So the turmoil and chaos surrounding this scene was something to behold. People elbowing and falling down, dust being stirred up, and Jesus still trying to fight his way with Jairus back to his house. And as this moment began to unfold, something incredible happened. Luke 8, 44 and through, or sorry, 43 through 46 says, A woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. That stopped in the King James. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And all began to deny. Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude suffocate thee. The multitude is gathered around you. They throng you and press you. And sayest thou who touched me? This was a mystery to them. didn't make any sense. There's a lot of people that are touching us. But Jesus said, No, somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Because, see, there was a difference and just bumping into Jesus and actually touching Jesus. There's a lot of people who just bump into him throughout the week. There's a lot of people who come to church services and just get associated with Jesus, but it's something entirely different to reach out in faith and to touch Jesus. It's something entirely different to make up your mind that I'm going to touch the master today I'm going to come into this service. It doesn't matter what the multitude does. It doesn't matter everyone else who just wants to come in and bump around and get acquainted. But I want to reach out and I want to touch him. I want to reach out and I want to get something from him. And by the way, it takes effort to touch Jesus. This woman could have just bumped into him like everyone else, but it took effort. 
it took a level of faith for her to get down because I believe it was dirty. I believe that it was, it was violent down there on the ground where she was crawling. She was probably scraping the elbows and the knees and everything else, getting to Jesus. But by the time she had touched him, the Bible says virtue left out of his body and she was immediately healed. From the suffocating crowd, as Jesus posed the question, who has touched me? From the suffocating crowd, this woman emerged, trembling and afraid at the feet of Jesus. And she began to tell him about this miracle that had just taken place in her life. And as Jesus heard this testimony, he spoke back to her, Be of good cheer. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. This was and is one of the greatest miracles and examples of faith that we read about in Scripture. It's a powerful example of what God can do if we'll just determine to reach out and touch him. But as I read this, we can get lost in the story and forget about the other guy. What about Jairus? Remember, he is a desperate father. Remember, he has finally got the attention of Jesus, and he is on his way to his house to heal his daughter Every breath precious. Every moment precious. So imagine the torture at this point. If he's human like like I am, imagine the torture at this point going on inside Jairus' head, fidgeting around. I hope he hurries up. I hope Jesus hurries up because we got to go. We got to go. My daughter's, you know, every breath is precious. I don't even know if she's still alive. I didn't know if she was going to make it for me to come here. This was, this was a, a chance that I'm taking. But at Jesus, as he's standing here, and he's, as he's meeting this need, uh, Jairus, no doubt, has to be frustrated in his faith, has to be frustrated in this moment. But we need to understand this. In our waiting, God is never slow. God's never slow. Now, he often seems slow to the one that's suffering, but God is never slow. In this moment, Jairus experienced what I'd like to call a divine interruption, a divine interruption. Jesus was meeting a need. Jesus was performing a miracle, but he just wasn't doing that for Jairus. I can only imagine what he might have been thinking, what about me? I came to you first. I got here first. I was first in line. What about my miracle? What about my answer? It's these divine interruptions that all of us seem to face in life that really test our faith and patience on the journey to our miracle. These moments where the Lord seems to be distracted. He seems to be distracted from our needs and focused on other things. If we live for God long enough, we will experience these delays. There's been times I've prayed for something, and I've believed God has given me an answer. And in the waiting, in the process, I have seen him perform a miracle for others before getting to me. And I would be dishonest if I told you that didn't affect my prayer. It didn't affect my worship. It didn't affect my attitude. It's something that we all, if we live for God long enough, will deal with. David David dealt with it. He experienced it. He wrote in Psalm 69.3, he said, I am weary of my crying. 
I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. I'm tired of the tears. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of praying the same prayers. I'm tired of believing and just sitting here waiting. You see, God uses these delays to teach us to trust in him completely. When God delays, we have no choice but to trust in him. We trust in him by submitting our agenda to him. When you're waiting on Jesus, the calendar, your agenda, your plan goes out the window. Your plan goes out the window. Anybody like to plan? Anybody a planner? Well, when you're waiting on Jesus, just forget it. Just forget it. You're on his timetable. You're not on yours. You're on his. And that can be frustrating. It can seem frustrating. But if we will just have patience on that journey, if we will just be faithful, if we'll just continue to push through it, if we'll continue to pray, if we'll continue to believe, then Jesus will still show up and answer at our house. He will still make his way to our situation and be our healer, be our deliverer, be our way maker. If it wasn't enough for Jairus on his journey to experience this interruption, he now receives the ultimate bad news. He now receives the news that he had long feared and that he was afraid was going to happen. Luke 8, 49, while he yet spake, while Jesus spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. In other words, it's over, Jairus. Stop praying. It's over. Don't bother Jesus. It's over. That sinking feeling in this moment that had to hit Jairus. Because he experienced on the journey to his miracle the it's over moment. That's the moment when all signs say it's too late. Time has run out and it's impossible now. Anybody ever been there before? When faith tells you to believe, faith tells you to pray, faith tells you, yes, it's still possible. But logic and reasoning tells you it's too late. Quiet yourself. Stop praying. Move on to something else. Stop believing God for this. If you've lived with a sickness in your body for years upon years upon years, it's probably at the point where you're thinking it's too late. It is what it is. I'm just going to deal with it. Logic and reasoning would agree with that. But faith disagrees with that. Faith disagrees with that. Like Jairus, there comes a point on our journey where it seems out of reach and all signs seem to tell us that it's over. But as Jairus stood there, as he stood there and received that report, Jesus heard the same report. He heard those same words and his plans. Remember, his calendar, his agenda is different. He had an altogether different plan. In Luke 8, 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him. He answered Jairus. He looked directly into the eye of that, eyes of that desperate father, and he said, Fear not, believe only. Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. Just when Jairus 
when he thought it was too late, just when he received the news, it was over. Jesus stepped in and said, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Somebody here this morning, Jesus wants to step into your situation. And he wants to tell you, look you in the eye and tell you, it's not over yet. I know you received a report from the doctor, but it's not over yet. I know your house seems like it's in turmoil, but it's not over yet. I know you've been living with this for years upon years and years, but I'm here to tell you it's not over yet. Because when Jesus makes a promise, when Jesus says it's possible, it's not impossible. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what's been spoken into your life. If Jesus says it's not over, it's not over yet. Come on, I think we ought to give praise to the King of Kings. Give praise to the healer. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say it's not over yet. Jesus gave Jairus then two things to do. He gave him this word, it's not over yet. And then he gave him two things to do. First, he said, fear not. Fear not. Second, he told him to believe only. Jesus knew that fear and faith just don't mix. Fear and faith do not go together. Don't try to believe and have fear at the same time. That's where we stumble. That's where we fail. We act like we're believing. We do the right thing. We, we come up and we, we have, the, uh, we have the, the steps down. We come up and get prayed for. We get anointed, you know. But deep down inside, we're saying it's not possible. It's not possible. And then we handcuff God, what he can do, because that fear has penetrated. It's infiltrated our faith and our hearts. But Jesus here said fear and faith don't mix, so you've got to get rid of that fear. We're living right now in a time of great uncertainty, in a time of fear. People are afraid to go to church. People are afraid to leave their house. People are afraid to, to go to the store. They're, they're afraid to drive their own car. You see people driving down the road with a mask on. People are afraid. You never, you never would have thought, you know, I, you know driving to, to work in the morning, I see kids standing at the bus stop with masks on. It's incredible. People are afraid. People are afraid. And if we're not careful, that fear can affect our prayer life. It can affect our walk. It can affect our faith. Jesus said you've got to get rid of that fear. You've got to fear not. It doesn't mix. And second, he said believe only. Believe only. Don't try to believe and figure everything out. Don't try to fear or believe and, and figure it out. Don't try to map it out and say, well, if I do this, then it will lead to this, and God will do this, and God will do that. God doesn't work that way. It never turns out the way you think it's going to turn out. But we've just got to trust totally and completely in him. We've got to surrender our will to him. Don't try to believe and make sense of any delay. Don't try to say, well, God's delaying this because of this. God hasn't answered my prayer because of this. Don't do that. Just simply trust and believe in God. Get rid of fear and trust and believe in him with everything that's within you. So Jesus told Jairus, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. So Jairus, he has fought through the suffocating crowd. He has fought through the divine interruption, the distraction, if you will. 
He has fought through on his journey to his miracle the moment of it's over with, where logic and reasoning tells him to forget it, stop praying. He has fought through these moments to continue on to his miracle. Jairus was commendable. He's staying the course. He's continuing to walk with Jesus. And as Jesus kept walking, as he kept going, and as the house became clearer and clearer in his view, Jairus heard the sound of mourners. He heard the sound of people bewailing his dead daughter. And as he walked into the home, if you've ever walked into a, a place where somebody has passed away or, or somebody is dying, I remember as a, as a young man uh, going to pray for an elder in the church, and as she was lying in her bed, it was one of the first times I'd ever come in contact with someone who was literally dying. And I can remember walking in that room, and you could just feel death. You could, you could feel it. And it was a dark, it was a, it was a sad thing. You, she wasn't the lady she was when she would come and sit on the pew and worship. It didn't even look like her. So it, that's been painted in my mind. I imagine that's what Jairus' house was like in this moment. He stepped in his doorway, and and what used to be Laughter was now tears, where he used to see his daughter walking through the hallways and, and, and smiling, and the, the place where she sat at the, the dinner table was now going to be empty, and it was an altogether different household now that Jairus had entered into this house, and he just felt the, the burden and the darkness of death. As they entered the house, Jesus permitted Peter, James, and John, who were on the journey with him, to come in. And those that gathered around that were already there were weeping and mourning this young girl. But as Jesus observed the scene, as he walked into that house that, that was now uh, brought down from laughter to now tears and mourning and death, as Jesus walked into the room, he spoke up and he said these words, She's not dead, only asleep. She's not dead, only asleep. Now, what sense does this make? Does it make any sense? Don't you see, Jesus, there's no pulse. Can't you see there's no breath left in her? Don't you see what we see? It's over. It's over. In Luke 8.53, as Jesus had spoken these words, those in the house laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. They laughed at Jesus. Can you imagine laughing at Jesus? This guy's crazy. What is he talking about? What is he saying? Now Jesus handled this exactly like I would. He put them out. He put them out of the house. He didn't make friends. He didn't try to reason with them. He didn't try to say, oh, hold on, wait a second. Let me explain my position. He said, listen, there's no room for you in here. You've got, to, you've got to get out of here. You've got to go. Jairus was still on the journey to his miracle. He was still on the journey to receiving his answer. And on the journey, he had to deal with those who doubted. He had to fight through negativity on the road to his miracle. But the Lord, Jesus Christ, simply put them out of the house Sometimes on the road to our miracle, on the journey that we're walking with Jesus, we have got to get those voices of doubt and negativity out of our life. Certain relationships, 
Certain friendships don't belong on the road to your miracle. Certain voices that are talking to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, on the job, in the house, on the phone at night, texting, some of the the social media friends you have, whatever avenue it is, we may not realize it, but that negativity could be infiltrating the heart, could be preventing us from getting to our miracle, from making that destination to where Jesus wants to do his most powerful work. So I've got to encourage us here this morning, if there's somebody in our life that's speaking to us, somebody that it just seems to bring us down every time we've got the victory, every time we've prayed and we finally get that breakthrough, it's okay to just put that voice out in a nice way. You know, don't take them out permanently, as in dirt nap, take them out. But we've got to put those voices out. We've got to silence those voices. So as Jesus had them make their, their exit, as he put those voices of doubt, of laughter and mocking, of negativity out of the house, he looked over at this young girl. He looked over at Jairus' daughter who was now laying there lifeless, all hope seemingly lost. Jesus reached And took her by the hand. And he called, saying to her, Maid, arise. Just in two simple words, Maid, arise. You see, Jesus looked directly at the problem and spoke to it. He looked directly at the circumstance that lay before him and he spoke to it. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't didn't try to, to make it cute. He spoke directly to this young girl that had died, and he said, Maid, arise. Can I tell you here today that there's power in speaking directly to your problem? There's power in speaking directly to your circumstance. Whatever it is, it's okay to look at it, to acknowledge it, to hit it head on, and say, I don't agree with you being here. Sickness, I don't think you belong here. Cancer. You don't belong in my house, trouble. So arise and get out. Arise and go out. Jesus spoke directly to the problem. And her spirit came again. And she arose straightway and he commanded to give her to meet, give her meat. The journey, you see, was long. It was arduous. It was exhausting. Jairus had to be so tired. He had to be physically, emotionally drained. It was long, and there were disappointments. Jairus' faith was tested, but he learned to trust in Jesus. He learned to trust in him who had made the ultimate promise. Jairus, the desperate father, had to release his control totally and completely to Jesus, and Jesus performed the miracle he was so desperate for. If you'll stand with me this morning. You might be like that desperate father today. You might be like Jairus and you are on the road to your miracle. You're on a journey that has been exhausting, that has been discouraging at times. You're on the road to the promise. You fought through discouragement. You have fought through disappointment. You have experienced delay. You've experienced negativity, and maybe you've reached the point where all logic and reasoning tells you that it's over with. 
that it's done and that there's no point, there's no reason in believing anymore. But it's my prayer this morning. I hope that the word of God has elevated your faith and your understanding to believe that no matter what, no matter what you're faced with on this road, just like Jairus, no matter what voices of doubt, no matter what distraction, no matter what delay, that Jesus is still right here. He's still walking with you every stride. The promise that he gave you is still going to come to pass. What he told you he would do, he's going to do. God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. What he said he would do in your life, he's gonna, it's going to come to pass. He's going to do it. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man. We've heard this scripture before. God is not a man that he should what? You ever been lied to? Somebody ever told you they were going to do something and they didn't do it? That's human nature. If we really want to get real, it's expected. People will fail us. Promises will fall apart. Sometimes it's hard to trust when somebody has given you their word, but not with God. Not with God. God is not a man, the Bible says, that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, hath God said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? If God gives you a word, if he gives you a promise, God is going to make good on that promise. It's not even in his nature to lie. It's not in his nature to tell, tell you something false. So if God has given you a promise, if he's walking with you right now on the road to your miracle, if you're on that journey, just hold on. Because if he said he's going to do it, it's impossible for him not to perform it. It's impossible for him not to heal you. It's impossible for him not to deliver you. Whatever he said he's going to do, he's going to do it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So I don't know where you're at on your journey. I don't know at what point you find yourself. But I believe that God is going to do it for you. He's going to do it for you in this service. He's going to bring you further along in your journey in this service than where you find yourself right now. But we've got to fear not and believe only. We've got to rid ourselves of this fear, of this doubt, this worry, and we've just got to trust him completely. If you need, if you need a miracle, if you need an answer from God, if you feel comfortable coming up to the front, we'll pray for you. If you want to just pray where you're, where you're standing, that'd be fine too. But, but let's just really, let's just not bump into him today. But let's reach out and touch him. Let's get a hold of God and believe him for our answer. I wonder if as we begin to sing, if you would just lift your hands with me. If you would just lift your voices in faith. Come on, the Lord wants to touch somebody in this house. Jesus, God, you know every circumstance, you know every situation. God, you know every individual here and what they face. And I pray right now that you would do a miracle in this house, that you would bring healing to a broken body. God, that you would bring deliverance to somebody who is struggling, who's fighting. Come on, that's it. Just begin to pray in faith. Lean and trust on the Lord for your answer.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.